good morning everyone for this podcast to share with us her message for education and education leadership so our guest for today is miss rachel vito who who teaches the beautiful language of french uh, she's been teaching at the Stratford Academy for the past 10 years, so she's got a whole lot of experience behind her. And she is going to take on an exciting new role at the Beaver Country Day School in, in Boston. So, Rachel, thank you so much for, for joining the show. Uh, you know, our, our uh, listeners want to hear so much about you. So, would you start by introducing yourself? Absolutely. Thanks. So, I'm Rachel Vito, as Trey said. Um, I'm 35. I'm a French teacher, and I also have served as department chair for the last five years at Stratford Academy in Macon, Georgia. But I am currently transitioning to serve in a similar role as department chair and French teacher at Beaver Country Day School uh, outside of Boston. I am a singer and a lover of theater and sports. Um, so I have also coached and helped with theater uh, throughout my time in education. Lovely. And, 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 and it seems that you're already on, on a bit of an education journey. And that is uh, something that we are going to discuss as part, part of this podcast. So, so Rachel, uh, tell us about your education journey. How, how did you, uh, you know, how did you land at Beaver School? What has your journey been through Stratford Academy? Uh, or, or rather, to, you know, to, to complicate it further, what has been your education journey as a teacher who's been teaching for the past so many years? Absolutely. I always say that I sort of fell backwards into teaching. I did not set out to be a teacher. Both of my parents are in education um, and had, in fact, my mom had often discouraged me from becoming a teacher, knowing some of the stressors <laughs> that went with the job. Um, but I knew I wanted to study French and particularly because I knew I wanted to go abroad. I wanted to travel to France and live in France. Um, so I was able to do that both in my undergraduate studies and after my undergraduate degree. I spent a year in France teaching English because that was an, a quick option to get to France and have a lot of time and experience in the country. When I finished that, I wanted to go back to school. So I went back and got a master's degree in French literature. And once you have a master's degree in French literature, you have sort of set yourself on a path to teaching in one way or another. And so um, I was teaching while I was doing my master's. And then I looked to get a job as a high school teacher. I thought at that point, so this was 10 years ago, that that would be temporary that I would teach in high schools for a little while and then I would go back and do a PhD and that eventually I would be a college professor. That was my goal at the time. What I did not account for was how much I would love teaching high school and particularly then how much I would become fascinated by pedagogy and by teaching uh, methods, uh, which was something that I hated all through my master's degree because I didn't really think it was going to be as necessary for me. Um, but when I had been at Stratford for about four years, we totally redesigned our foreign language curriculum. Um, and that led to me really having to explore a variety of teaching strategies. And it really caused me to start to question everything I had ever known about teaching, um, 
And that set me on a path to really wanting to explore a lot more about education and about um, pedagogy and to be definitely sure that being a teacher was really where I was supposed to be, um, even though that had not been my original goal. After 10 years at Stratford, for a variety of reasons, it was time for me to leave. Um, So I spent all of the last year looking for jobs, both through agencies and on my own. was a crazy year to be looking for a job. So, for example, I sent my application to Beaver in January, but didn't hear back until the end of March. But by the end of March, obviously no one was traveling. And so I did every piece of that interview process virtually and literally had not seen the campus of the school at which I will work until I moved up here last week. Uh, So that was an incredibly stressful process, but I think it has allowed me or perhaps forced me to engage a lot more in this transition because I want to be sure that I have a good feel for the new environment when I'm finally there. And so I'm a lot more engaged in listening and reaching out to people um, and actively exploring the school than I think I might be if I had already visited and felt like I had a good sense of it to start. Um, I think the new school is a good fit for me because it has a focus on an innovative nature. They talk about making beautiful mistakes. uh, And I think that fits really well with the ways in which I've grown as a teacher and have tried to explore pedagogy and different methods in my own growth. And so I think it's going to be a really nice fit. Right. There are there are so many interesting details that you just gave us. So, so for example, you teach you taught English in a French speaking country, and now you teach French in an English speaking country. So that al- already tells us, or it tells the viewers, you know, your 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 breadth of experience. And and uh, it's also interesting to see that you know you, you come from a family of educators. Your your parents were teachers. You are somebody who has engaged extensively with curriculum teaching, and you and as you said, you you enjoy exploring pedagogy and listening. And I, by the way, I absolutely love, uh, you know, what your uh, what the Beaver Country School is saying about making beautiful mistakes. So, keeping in mind the interesting journeys that you've had, which also, by the way, includes shifting to a new school during COVID. So, I can only imagine what a strange, stressful journey uh, it would have been. But keeping in mind your experiences and and your engagement with curriculum and pedagogy and especially sort of uh, international perspectives, what, what according to you are the key education messages that you keep coming back to when you either speak with your students or, or even with other uh, colleagues in your profession? Yeah, that's such a big question. Um, and I think as I started to think about this, I I felt like I knew in my gut what what my important tenants were, the ideas I keep coming back to, but it was hard for me to put them into words. I've written an educational philosophy like most of us who have been searching for a job. Um, but I, I was having a hard time really putting words to what are the things that are most crucial to me. Uh, So I actually went to my former students and asked them what had they taken away most from their time in my classroom. And their answers really helped me put a more concrete language around what the things are that I'm trying to impart to them. Because when they 
took that away, it was really validating. And I could say, yeah, that was something that I did intentionally. So that really helped me crystallize what are the things that I value. So I think for me, I want my students to hold on to a certain knowledge about the world and a variety of viewpoints. Um, many of my students said they felt like that happened in my classroom more than in other classrooms. I'm privileged there because French is spoken on every continent. And so it's easy for me to, to quickly and in my content area attack from a variety of viewpoints. Um, I, I talk about wanting my students to know more than I knew when I graduated. So I graduated from a very small independent school. There were uh, 15 students in my graduating class. Um, it was in small town South Carolina in a sort of NASCAR hotbed. Um, that was really the only thing the town was known for was a NASCAR track. And and I, I didn't have a lot of teachers who were asking me to think outside of that context. And so I never did. I was an excellent student, um, but I was very good at doing exactly what I was asked to do and not necessarily pushing myself any farther. And as I look back now at myself as a high school student or a college student, um, and even into my master's, I realized how willing I was to stick with what I knew and what my comfort zone was and how much that limited me in terms of what I could have understood or accomplished. So for me is that I want my students to know more than I knew when I graduated. I want them to think outside their own perspective. I want them to have read things from a variety of countries and cultures and viewpoints. Um, so that's number one, a, a knowledge about the world, a knowledge of a variety of viewpoints. Um, and just an awareness and an understanding of the world around them that I didn't have when I was their age. The other thing is that I want my students to hold on to joy in the classroom. Um, I think we have created such a culture of stress in our schools of achievement being tied to concrete grades. And I'm part of it too. I tie my own achievement to my students' scores and to concrete outcomes. Um, so I feel that but I also want to know how I can disrupt it. Um, so I think when we can play games, when they see me celebrate that they got an answer right, um, that they can remember that those successes mattered too and hopefully hold on to the successes. Um, too often I think we're in the business of classifying and labeling our students. And so they only feel successful if they meet certain metrics. But what we need to be doing is creating a culture in our classroom where every day can bring little successes. And so then hopefully they can develop a different mindset about themselves if we celebrate those successes instead of focusing on the the metrics and the classifications. So yeah, so I think those would be my two biggest things if I were, there were two things that I keep coming back to, um, exposing my students to a variety of viewpoints and then joy and success. Um, obviously there are pedagogical ways that I get there, things like student choice um, has been really big for me. But all of that, I think, is tied to allowing them to feel successful, allowing them to feel joy, um, allowing them to think outside of their box. Right. You, uh, you know, you raise so many important questions there. And I, I absolutely love the fact that one of your major pedagogical approaches is to introduce your students to a variety of viewpoints. 
So I'm going to I'm going to touch on uh, stick to that point uh, first a bit, especially in the context of a COVID, which again is it's a global phenomenon, but also in in the context of you know the movement of Black Lives Matter in the U.S. and how then you know something uh, the skill of being able to look at a variety of viewpoints is something that that can really come in handy with the students. So I just want to get your thoughts on: Do you think that that schools in the US or education in the US, um, uh, what are the opportunities that education in the US has to really bring to the fore this skill of, of uh, learning multiple perspectives? Do you think that, that there are opportunities that lie there in, in, the, in the face of COVID or in the face of Black Lives Matter? Do you think that this, is, this can be a moment that, that can truly be used to, to push aggressively this, this skill of learning a variety of viewpoints and coming to then informed judgments about issues? Yeah, absolutely. I think we have to. I think particularly as independent schools in the United States, I think if we're going to stay viable, um, those are precisely the sorts of things we have to be doing. Um, my students often joke that the sentence that I make them say the most often is, okay, fine, I understand that, but I still disagree because I won't let them disagree until they can explain to me how they understand the other viewpoint. Um, and I think that sort of speaks to what you're talking about, that we have to get our students thinking outside the box. I think as independent schools, we really have an opportunity to be change leaders. We haven't been traditionally, um, but I think we could be. I think during COVID-19, we proved that we can change quickly. Um, independent schools innovated much more rapidly, obviously, because we control our own destiny in a lot more ways. We're a smaller pool. We can do things more quickly, more agile um, than, you know, large public school systems. And so during COVID-19, I think we showed we can innovate and we can innovate quickly. We have, I think, seen ourselves as these huge monoliths that can't be changed. We hold so tight to tradition. It's even in the motto of the school where I used to work. Um, but we've proven that that doesn't have to be our model, that we can change quickly. And so I think we need to start doing that in other areas as well, notably in dismantling our own systemic racism, which is rooted in our origins, right? Most of the independent schools in the United States were begun to be elite institutions to keep the people in power in power or to keep them separate from everybody else. So we have to own that and then provide education that can offer our kids a way to analyze that, to understand their, their place in it. Um, and, and yeah, I think maybe, maybe we don't break down the whole system right away, but because we're equipped to change more quickly, what can we do immediately that can start to put more perspectives and more ideas in front of our students um, quickly and help them start to think about this too. Um, I, I worry about the fact that as independent schools, we hold up tradition as a pillar 
something we want to be. If I had to guess, I would guess it's because we've been elite and elite has traditionally been a great thing. You know, you think of elite as, as a positive connotation word, but I think staying the same doesn't feel elite. It feels like turning into a dinosaur. Um, so I think the only way to stay elite in the best sense of the word, not in a, an exclusionary sense of the word as the the way to stay elite in terms of performance and outcomes and you know better lives for our students has to do with innovation at this point in 21st century education and maybe has less to do with tradition and that's going to be a real pivot for our independent schools um, but I think we have a real opportunity that if we don't capitalize on we may become obsolete right and you know that that also ties to the point of the other thing that you mentioned about, you know, your focus as far as teaching is concerned, which is to bring joy and success to your students. And that concept becomes a little interesting in the context of independent schools and especially millennial uh, parents. Do you think that that with millennial parents and, and the dynamics of independent schools, success for students is increasingly being viewed in transactional terms in terms of how millennial parents view success for their children and the and the tuition that they are paying and the view that what is the value of that tuition so often the success of a child is offset against the value of education that millennial parents seem to be paying and sometimes millennial parents can or are prone to saying that look such and such characteristics mean success considering the amount of money that we've paid. Do you think this has ramifications for your concept of success and joy for students? Do you think it complicates the lives of our students in independent schools? Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard, right? Because, because in some ways those parents are right. There is a value proposition or a return on their investment that they should be able to expect just like with any investment. But I think to your point, it's all about how we define success. You know, right now we're still in a system that was built on the industrial revolution where we were training kids to be factory workers. So compliance was success. Um, and I think as long as we're educating into that system, we're going to be causing stress for our students, particularly who live in a more and more 21st century world. Um, they realize that the world is innovating around them. And yet in schools, we're continually pushing them into smaller and smaller boxes. And they recognize that that, that doesn't make any sense. And I think that's why we're seeing increased anxiety, increased depression, and increased stress levels on our kids. Um, we're pushing for higher and higher measurables when, when really that whole system is for an output that we don't need as much anymore. So, so it's a double-edged sword, I think. Like I say, in some ways, the parents are right. They are investing in the school. So expecting a return on that investment isn't unreasonable. But I, I don't think it's as simple as the simple metrics for success, like the best college possible or everybody will make good grades. It's hard to define anyway what, you know, what's the best college possible. That's different for every kid. So, so I think we might all be better off if we could just redefine what that return on investment should look like. 
I think, for example, we're seeing right now in the United States with a lot of these social media accounts black at whatever school um, that very often the return on investment that we have been giving our parents has not included their students emotional well-being. Um, which which mm-hmm. feels central to what parents would be willing to pay for, right? You'd think that emotional well-being should be high on what they'd be willing to invest in. Um, but we haven't been delivering that potentially in service to these more concrete measurables like college admission. Um, so I think if parents are willing to pay for an independent mm-hmm. school education, they should be willing to expect then that we will provide their children with opportunities to build critical thinking skills, collaboration skills, and knowledge of the world around them. That's better preparing them for 21st century education. That would be a really a better return on their investment long term. But obviously, that's hard to quantify. Um, how do you prove that you're doing that to a sufficient amount? So that's what makes this so hard. They're paying a concrete amount of money, but how can we provide concrete results? Uh, and I'm just not sure we can, because I'm not sure that the best of what we do as independent schools is externally measurable. So I think maybe at that point, it becomes a question of messaging, and we we have to be clearer about the deliverables up front. Um, if we're marketing ourselves only as college preparatory, then then the deliverable that people will expect is college. But I think we're also life preparatory. Um, and I think that's more important. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think maybe we can do more around our messaging to be clearer about what deliverables we expect to produce as opposed to those concrete markers of success. And that then we will actually, in fact, produce students who are more successful in terms of their own emotional well-being, their emotional intelligence, um, in terms of their ability to compete in a more and more competitive job market. I think all of those things will be better measures of success in the long run. They're just harder to quantify. Yes, and I I guess... One of the clearest things that that your response shows is that how complicated the the job of a 21st century educator has become in terms of expectations from different stakeholders, whether that be parents or or you know even school administration or students, and and also as educators, what we ourselves want to bring to the table and the changes we want to achieve in our students. So I'm sure it must get overwhelming many many times. So. What keeps you going? What are the what are what are the passions uh, that you have that have influenced your approach to your work, and 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 the passions that keep you going even in the midst of everything that is happening in the world of twenty first century education? Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, so my two major passions, as I said at the top, are uh, theater and sports, and that can be a little funny sometimes because people in both of those worlds sometimes tend to distance themselves from people in the other. Um, I have a lot of theater friends who joke about not knowing anything about sports ball. Um, But I love both of those worlds. And I've been really intentional about finding ways to make time for myself in those areas. So I've been involved in community theater over the last nine years. And other teachers are often asking me, how do you possibly have time to go to rehearsal several nights a week when, you know, we're grading papers and we're trying to design new innovative lessons and we're trying to, you know, support our students emotionally. And 
And it's because that's my emotional support for myself being able to get to the theater and to see my talented friends perform and to be with people who think like me and to be a part of just creating what to me is the magic of theater. Um, It is really, even though it's time consuming, really nourishing for me. Um, And I think they both affect the way that I can teach too. I think um, part of being a teacher is being an actor, whether we like it or not. Uh, you have to be on when you're in front of a classroom, no matter what kind of day you're having. Um, but then there's a there's also a piece of bringing yourself and your authentic experiences to that role. And that's exactly the same in acting. Um, you're portraying a specific emotion that you know you have to, but it's your own experiences and your own life behind it. Um, and I think sports help me think about what, what you might call a growth mindset um, in the sort of educational jargon, you know, nobody ever thinks they're done learning how to be a good basketball player or a volleyball player. Um, in the same way that we maybe think we're done with algebra class. Um, and so, you know, an an athlete still practices every day if they want to stay good and get better. LeBron James, Steph Curry, they're still practicing every day. We don't always have that same mindset in education. I think both as teachers and students, we give kids a grade, we move them on to the next class. They think the class is over. We think the class is over. Um, Because I have the privilege of teaching kids for multiple years. I've been the only French teacher in the high school for the last 10 years. Uh, It gives me, I think, a little more opportunity to see them over time and to remind them that, yeah, some days are hard, just like in sports, but you have to keep working at it daily. And that it's that it's a daily grind really to acquire knowledge that it's not going to happen overnight and that it's never done. That learning process is never done. Anecdotally, I also think that having deep knowledge about those two random fields helps me connect with a lot of students, particularly in French. So I can nerd out about a Broadway actor or I can quote stats on an NFL team. And that hopefully gives me an avenue into engaging more kids around their passions and that's it, right? We're, we're all passionate about things. So so I follow French news sources, but I also follow French athletes. So so why shouldn't my students too, if that's what can engage them to love what it is that we're doing in class, if they love food and that's what gets them to love French, or if they love ballet and that's what gets them to love French, or if they love sports and France just won the World Cup and that's what gets them to, to love French, whatever it is. Um, I think engaging their passions is what will make them more invested in the same way that engaging my passions helps make me a better teacher. Well, Rachel, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure listening to your thoughts on education and listening to your messages for your students and for your colleagues in the community. Uh, You bring so much to the table and, and we can only wish you all the very best of luck for your next job. Thank you for taking out the time and speaking with us. And hopefully we'll hear from you again. Thank you very much. Thank you, Shay. It was great.